Welcome to the Jason Tim Podcast. Thank you guys so much for taking time out of your Thursday afternoon to come hang out with Tommy and I after an extremely stressful uh, uh, trade deadline where a relatively mediocre relative to other stars type of player held the entire league hostage for nothing to happen, which was Kyle Lowry, which is what we're going to discuss here at the start. But Tommy, how you doing, man? Are you feeling okay? I know you're a Warriors fan, so you're probably a little annoyed, but how you doing? Uh, overall annoyed. Um, I mean, I think the Warriors are making their direction clear. Basically, we're going all in on 19-year-olds, um, which is, <laughs> I mean, it's a choice. We can say that much. It's a choice, but um, it's frustrating. Um, but yeah, excited to talk about all the other stuff. Honestly, I discussed all the Warriors stuff at length on Twitter over the last couple hours. So I'm ready to talk about everything else. Yeah. So one of the, the, the recurring themes that's going to get brought up here in the next, you know, half hour, hour is going to be this idea that, uh, every team in the country, uh, seems to be intent on overvaluing draft picks and young players. And it sucks because like, you know, uh, we'll just frame this through the Kyle Lowry situation. So there's Intel out there that the Lakers, could have had a much better chance of getting Kyle Lowry had they put Talon Horton Tucker on the table, but there was no willingness to include him in the deal. Now, the Tyler Harrow one made more sense to me because Tyler Harrow at least had a dominant playoff game, you know, partially responsible for executing the Boston Celtics last year. He has, uh, uh, I'm not going to say his ceiling is necessarily higher than Talon Horton Tucker's, but he's certainly a hell of a lot closer to it. And given the age of the players on the team, that makes a lot more sense. But it doesn't make any sense to me that the uh, uh, that teams are are so uh, hesitant to commit to a timeline, and it really it really drives me nuts. And you know, what's Talon Horton Tucker's ceiling? What is he? Maybe an Eric Gordon? Maybe a, a little bit more athletic version of Eric Gordon? How does how does that uh, and, and what's he at least four or five years away from being that? And LeBron's turning thirty seven this year. Yep. Like uh, I, I just don't understand that uh, that concept. And I and you you can probably speak to this as well with some of these uh, Warriors young players. Yeah, it's it's interesting because what the Lakers or the Warriors are basically saying is we think. These individual players, THT or Wiseman, they're going to be at the very least stars and maybe superstars because you already have the components to or you already have the superstar player that can win you a title. Like for both the Lakers and the Warriors, who are in different positions right now, the Warriors are ninth in the West and have an average roster. The Lakers have one of the best rosters in the league um, and they can win a title this year. But what they're basically saying by not being willing to include these young guys in trade packages for players that are already really good is that we think these guys can potentially become superstars, which is, I mean, I think both guys like Wiseman and THT have the talent to do that. But as you're alluding to, they're so far from the ceiling. It's a pretty wild bet to make when you have superstars in their either early thirties in Steph's case, or their mid thirties in LeBron's case, where they don't have much time left to win championships, right? Like that window is very, very limited. So not going all in doesn't make sense to me. And that's for any team in this situation, right? Then, we can take the Nets, for example. Durant in his early 30s, Harden, same thing. They're saying, let's go all in. Let's do whatever we can to improve this team right now to win a championship or multiple championships over the next three to four years. And they, they have continually done that all year. Yeah, it's, it's a question of what your goal is. The, our, like So many teams are obsessed with being interesting. And then when they're interesting and they fall short, they're all super annoyed at the end of the season. It's like, it's like they only care about the ultimate goal when they've lost. 
And then before that, they they care about being interesting. And, and that's something that I struggle with, especially for bigger market teams. Like if you're Golden State or you're the Lakers, you have to understand that you're going to get probably the best mid-level exception guy most years. You're going to get the best veteran minimum guys most years. You're, you, you, you have all these other things working in your favor. So ex, 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 being tied to a draft pick, which is arguably the least valuable thing to a big market team, to me is completely nonsensical. And I just, you know, again, like the, the big thing too for these contenders is that the league is so much better now than it used to be. Like Warriors fans are so caught up in this idea that, hey, wait, wait, wait until we get Clay Thompson back. We're going to be good. Hey, I got news for you. Steph Clay and Draymond's not good enough anymore. That's not, not good enough. Not with Clay, not with Clay off and, and ACL and Achilles. If you're telling me we're getting 2019 Clay Thompson, then I think they're maybe right there with the right moves on the margins. But that's mm-hmm. not a guarantee. And I think the larger point is that injuries happen. Like I, as a Warriors fan, I've seen this over the past 20 months. Injuries happen. There's the three best players got significant injuries four times over a 20-month period. So when you have the chance to go all in and your players are healthy, like for the Lakers, for example, even though LeBron and AD are injured right now, they're going to be fine come playoff time. you got to go all in. You have to, right? Because Brooklyn is putting together an incredible team. They still have some struggles on defense, but they're going to be formidable in the playoffs. Denver got better. The Clippers are nothing to, to laugh at, even though I still don't love their team. If they are clicking on all cylinders, they can beat the Lakers and not moving for a guy like Lowry when he clearly was available over a guy like THT, who's a I think will be a good player, but will he ever even be as good as Kyle Lowry? Like at his peak, will he be as good as Kyle Lowry? I don't know I if don't he will. So. Do you think he'll be the second best player on a championship team? That's the question that we're asking. And if he if he's not that, then I'd rather have three years of Kyle Lowry as a second or third best player on a championship team than whatever THT is in ten years. Well, and what you just said is the the key point. It's it's you know Brooklyn is good enough that they can beat you, and th- and that is the key fact that keeps getting that like, keeps getting lost in all of this. Like I'm as big of an optimist as far as the Lakers go as you'll find out there. Like I last year, I did not think any of those teams could beat the Lakers. I didn't think any of them could. You know, I thought the Clippers were close, but I didn't think any team realistically had a chance to beat the Lakers. I was confident through and through the entire process. This season, there are at least. There's at least one team out there that can beat you. Brooklyn can beat you. You know, like uh, uh, with the way that uh, Phoenix is constructed, they can beat you. With the way that the, the Clippers are constructed with Serge Ibaka, with Kawhi getting a little better and Paul George looking better than he did last year, they can beat you. There, th- This is a year where even though the Lakers are theoretically better, the, the margin that exists between you and the other teams in the league is smaller. And, and to me, it's like, the, uh, you, you cannot, you don't want to go down holding chips and you know what? Mark, mark my words, man. Like there's going to be a moment where it becomes abundantly clear that THT can't play in the playoffs this year. And he'll have, mo- he might have a moment where he looks good, but in a late round, there's going to be a moment where it looks like he's not ready. And it's not going to be because it's his fault. It's going to be because he's 20 years old. And, and in that moment, I hope people understand that the, like the, those little tiny details, like improving the third best player on your team, even if it's just a marginal amount, like the gap between Lowry and, and Schroeder is real. It's not a huge gap, but there's a gap there. And something like that could be the difference between you hoisting the trophy or going home in the Western Conference Finals. Oh, and guess what? LeBron turns 37 next year, and it's just going to get harder. 
And, and so I, I just don't understand why, why that obsession and, and I'll never get it, but I think it's just, I, I think it's just, it's, it's for whatever it's worth. It's something that exists all around the league. So it's not a problem unique to the Lakers. I mean, Bob Myers is having the same problem. All the, like uh, Pat Riley's having the same problem. This, this problem exists all over the league. I think what it speaks to mostly is once you have success in one way, it's hard to move off of that. You like you just hone in on this one way of doing things. That's what that's what the Warriors are going through, and that's what I think to a certain extent the Lakers are going through. They did improve their roster a little bit this offseason, but they're thinking, oh, we we have the same two guys that we won the title with last year. We're still good enough to do it this year. The league has shifted around you. Like Brooklyn didn't have Kevin Durant or James Harden last year. I mean, KD was on the roster, but he was injured. He was never playing a game. Like mm-hmm. the league has shifted. Phoenix didn't have Chris Paul. Denver didn't have. Aaron Gordon, who I don't obviously isn't in the class of any of those guys, but I think he changes the geometry for them a little bit. I think he gives and them Jokic a guy. Is better. And Jokic is way better. Like the other guys are improving, and that's going to continue to happen. There's a lot of good young players in the league right now. Like Embiid's probably going to be better next year. Doncic is going to be way better next year. All these young guys are going to keep getting better, and eventually it's going to shift from the old guard. Like KD or LeBron or maybe Steph if the Warriors make some moves. One of those guys will win a championship in the next couple years, I think. At least one of them will. And then eventually one of them will win one, and it will be the last championship that that group of three players wins. And if teams like Lakers and Warriors aren't willing to make the moves to go all in right now, they've already seen those last championships. It's over for them. It's over. They will not win another one. LeBron needs more help than he did at 32. He just does. You need a guy like Kyle Lowry who can handle some of that playmaking and just like take the load off of him because he's 36. Yeah, he never used to get high ankle sprains. He's just older. It is what it is. Yeah, no, I I I disagree on the high ankle sprain thing because I think it was a contact injury. But uh, I but uh, to me the better example that was the groin the groin injury last year. But however, sure. the, your larger point I agree with, and you know for like Rob Polinka has done a really good job since Magic has left, and I, I always have to be careful with this sort of thing. You know, when we're talking about trade discussions, because there's always what is reported and then there's the reality of what happens. And uh, it's very possible that even THT might not have gotten the deal done. So I don't want to be, you know, super matter of fact in the it way It could have been the Raptors trying to up the price for Lowry. It could have sure. been that. It could have been them feeding, you know, Shelburne or Wendy whatever, and, and telling them, hey, this is on the table, but it really wasn't. And Lowry, there, there was intel that Lowry wanted to have some sort of input on where they were going. It's very possible that, that, that the L.A. thing was never real. However, in the hypothetical, where this should have happened or could have happened with THT in the trade, to me, that's a catastrophic mistake. And I, the only... I, I, I thought about this so many times over the last couple hours because I wanted to make sure that I wasn't missing something. And the only thing that if, if I had to be a devil's advocate for why the Lowry trade for uh, THT, KCP, and Dennis Schroeder wouldn't have made sense, the only thing I can think of is guard depth. This idea that right now the Lakers have five guards. They have Caruso, THT, KCP, Wes Matthews, and Dennis Schroeder. And if you give up three of them for one, then now all of a sudden you've got a guard core that's only three deep. And now you're looking at playing an Alfonso McKinney or you're trying to find a buyout guy. Maybe you can get a Wayne Ellington. I, I don't know. And so I, I do see I do see some uh, validity to that. However, to me, the the lineup flexibility, provided they stayed healthy and made it into deeper rounds of the playoffs, the lineup flexibility of having a Kyle Lowry uh, as an upgrade uh, over Dennis Schroeder to me was was worth it, but I just that that's the devil's advocate approach. But I still think that 
that uh, it could potentially have been a big mistake. And there, there will be a, a moment, potentially, if the Lakers lose this year. There will be a moment, maybe it's against the Clippers, maybe it's against Brooklyn, where it's going to feel like there's a talent gap. And, and that is something that could have been remedied here. And, and, and that could be unfortunate. End of the day, top-end talent is what matters in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. I'd rather be eight deep and have my, have my top three be amazing than be ten deep and have like a top two and then everybody else is just kind of bleh. Mm-hmm. At the end of the at the end of the roster, so it. I mean, I can. St- I don't understand why the Lakers didn't do it if THT was the sticking point, and I'll leave it at that. Should mm-hmm. we uh, talk some other trades here? Yeah. So okay. So uh, it appears that Miami had a backup plan lined up for Victor Oladipo, yeah. which we won't get into it for the Lakers because we've talked enough Lakers. But that was another one the Lakers should have been in on, in my opinion, because Victor Oladipo is an upgrade uh, over the current guard staff that the Lakers have right now. However, that said. Miami gets Victor Oladipo. They give up Avery Bradley and uh, um, Kelly Olynyk. Kelly Olynyk, and, so, and I think his second round pick. Yeah, so effectively nothing. A guy who uh, Avery Bradley who barely played for them at all, and you're giving up a big, but they're expecting to get one in the buyout market. They already got Bielitsa. They yeah, they got Bielitsa, so he can fill that. Kelly Olenek roll at a much smaller price. He costs like five million bucks. Yeah, and and push comes to shove, he probably won't even play. They'll probably play Lamarcus and, and and Bam and Precious. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, how do you feel surface level about Oladipo, his fit with Miami, so on and so forth? Um, I'm not sure because I don't know exactly what Oladipo has left. I wanted the Warriors to take a chance on him just because their roster is terrible. But if he's 80 or if he's you know 80 to 90 percent of the guy that we saw in Indy you know three four years ago that took LeBron's Cavs to a seven game series I really like the pickup you know they I think they were struggling with lead ball handling a little bit number one you can't count on Dragic to be healthy anymore he's really good when he's healthy still but he was injured in the playoffs last year he was injured in the finals they that's part of the reason why it was so tough for Miami when the Lakers really locked in defensively to generate offense because they didn't have a second ball handler besides Jimmy, basically. They're relying on Tyler Hero. Hero has, has slumped this year. He's looked bad. Um, I think this will help put him more into a role that that suits what his game is currently. I'm talking about Hero. Um, if Oladipo can still be kind of that lead slash secondary ball handler who's generating a ton of paid touches and a ton of rim looks for your offense, um, it'll help Duncan Robinson. And then if he still has that same juice, he's also a really good defensive player. So it's all dependent on how healthy he is. And I, I've watched... I started watching, you know, some Rockets games just to kind of get a feel for what he looks like. Some of the pop is still there, and then sometimes it looks like he doesn't have anything left. And I'm curious to see if that's more injury-related or if that's just, I'm really bored, I'm in a terrible situation, and I don't want to try that hard because I don't want to get injured again. So So my theory on the Victor Oladipo thing is that he has had some decline from the injury, and it's caused some issue more so just with the way the food chain kind of works out with these rosters that he's been on so for instance he in indiana he gets hurt and all of a sudden malcolm brogdon's really good and 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 sabonis is really good and so it starts to creep into your head a little bit to where like when you're shooting that pull up three off the pick and roll you're like eh, am i actually the guy who should be taking this shot because you know so-and-so has been you know uh, uh brogdon's been incredible you don't uh, have that total stretches. green light anymore you don't have that exactly total green light. That's exactly what I mean. And and then and then you go to Houston and you're on a t- terrible team and John Wall is a black hole in a lot of cases. So I agree with you in the sense that uh, uh, that there are other factors at play with the way his numbers have looked. 
But at the end of the day, none of this really matters uh, 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 when you look at the fact that you're not asking him to be a lead guard anymore. And Victor Oladipo makes no sense for me as a lead guard. I mean, if you look at the the theory that came out that like um, that the New York Knicks might have been interested in him at one point in time, I'm sitting there looking at that and I'm like, I'm like, I don't want Victor Oladipo to be the best player on my team. Uh, however, in a, in a food chain like he'll experience in Miami or he would have experienced in L.A., it's this idea that uh, what you're being asked to do changes. It's why Dennis Schroeder looks great as the third best player on the Lakers, and why he looks you know, like he isn't worth $20, $25 million anymore now that he's playing without LeBron and AD. The, the bottom line is, is that he's going to kind of slot in into that like second secondary initiator, but like third most important player on that Miami Heat team where uh, uh, Jimmy Butler's running most of their actions. He can share that secondary ball handling duty with, with Drogic, and he's got this awesome pick-and-roll weapon with Bam Adebayo. And, Who also and, does some handling. He, he does some DHO stuff, and he'll play some point center. Like They have a, a lot of ball handlers now with Oladipo. Mm-hmm. Exactly. To me, to me, it makes a, a lot of sense for them. And, and you know, I talked about this a lot in the podcast that I did yesterday, but every team freaks out about the idea of like overpaying a star. This idea that like, oh, well, you got to pay Victor Oladipo this summer and he's going to want $20 million. Oh, you're going to have to pay Dennis Schroeder this summer. He's going to want $20 million. But th- this is a simple fact that every fan needs to become aware of. A, a player's market value is not what a good team is willing to pay for him. It's what a bad team is willing to pay for him. And guess what? You either pay market value for a player or you get extremely lucky that a player wants to ring chase, which is rare these days, or the guy's going to leap. You're going to, you're going to lose him. So you have the option to either overpay talent or to become a worse basketball team. That's the same predicament that every single contending team is in. You're either going to pay Dennis Schroeder four years, 80 million or four years, 85 million this year, or Schroeder's going to walk and the Lakers are going to be worse. It's the same problem that the Cavs had when they had to re-sign J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson. It's the same problem the Lakers had this year when they had to repay uh, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Every single contending team, they win a title and it's like, crap, we got to pay all these guys. The Raptors just had to pay a lot for Fred Van Vliet and Fred Van Vliet's really good. But it's it's hard. It, it hampers your roster. But you have to think about it. Fred Van Vliet's value, Dennis Schroeder's value, Victor Oladipo's value is not what a contending team is willing to pay. It's what a bad team is willing to pay, and that sets the market. And you either pay the price to be good, or, or you penny pinch, and then you get stuck in mediocrity. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That's a really good point in terms of how the market gets set. Um, yeah, and I just think. Like I said, I think if Oladipo is close to the guy that we saw near his peak, I think it's an awesome move. I, I He gives them a guy who can guard a Kyrie type, like guard those lead ball handlers and bother them. And, you know, Kyrie's going to score no matter what, but at least you can bother him now. And then they, they do already have the frontline guys to give, you know, Brooklyn, Harden, and, and KD, in theory, some issues, right? Mm-hmm. So, look, they're going to be – they are a much tougher out than they were – an hour ago in the playoffs, in my estimation, they, they just, they have a lot more depth in terms of ball handling and they got better defensively too. Like Oladipo when he's locked in is an awesome all NBA level defender. So yeah, it's, it's an absolute improvement on their roster. I don't think they're necessarily going to win the East again um, because the, the conference has obviously changed and Brooklyn looks awesome. Milwaukee's look better as of late. Um, Philly when they're healthy is really good. So I don't know if it changes the, it does, definitely doesn't shift the power in the East, but it makes Miami a lot more serious than they were. 
They also keep Tyler Harris, or excuse me, uh, uh, Duncan Robinson, which was the guy that they had included in the uh, uh, the Kyle Lowry trade. So they're undoubtedly better, and and I kudos to the teams that are out there trying to get better because it just it, it drives it drives me nuts when when teams are uh, stuck in no man's land, which maybe is going to bring us. And, you know, maybe KD is injured all playoffs. Maybe Embiid gets hurt in the playoffs. Like you just never know. You never know, and that's why you got to go all in when you can. That, exactly. That's the that's the key. Is like you're not uh, you every single inch that you gain in this sort of environment is an inch that might put you over the top if things break a certain way, and and that's that's the key. Like Miami, you could say whatever you want about them overpaying Jimmy Butler or whatever it is. It's like they were AD potentially being a little bit more banged up last year away from winning the title. That's literally how close they were. So it's it's something to keep in mind. Um, so this brings us to another example of a team pushing chips in the middle. There was a lot of talk from Denver that this idea that uh, uh, they were uh, the reason why they didn't pay uh, uh, Jeremy Grant was the fact that they they were concerned that they were going to have to pay you know Michael Porter Jr. Uh, to a long term deal. They just uh, signed Jamal Murray. Nikola Jokic is one of the best five players in the league, so he's going to be a super max guy one day. There was this idea that you have too much money tied up elsewhere, so there's no point in going after Eric uh, Aaron Gordon because that would just give you another guy you have to pay. That was the concern coming into the trade line trade deadline, but they did it. They did it because they understand all of those things that we were just talking about, and I think we both agree that Aaron Gordon makes them uh, way better. Uh, but why don't you start by just telling us how you see Aaron Gordon improving them? Well, I think, number one, it's something that kind of gets missed with him. He's not one of those super disruptive defenders that's going to get a lot of blocks and steals, which is kind of weird considering his athleticism. But he's really good at point of attack. Like, he can guard the big wings. He can guard, you know, reasonably well the LeBron, Kawhi, Kevin Durant type um, that are that you're going to see in the biggest playoff series that you come into. Like, he can guard those guys, and he's not going to be the best at it. Um, like, he struggled against Kawhi when, he was, when Kawhi was in Toronto a couple years, but that was because Gordon was doing way too much playmaking. He was doing way too much ball handling. In Denver, he's not going to have to do that. They have Jokic, who's obviously – who might be the best offensive player in the league. Like, he's right there. Murray does a ton of ball handling, and he's looked a lot better the last month or so of basketball. So Gordon can just finish – or concentrate what he's good at. He's been shooting spot-up threes well this year. He's shooting 40% from three. Low volume, but he's still making them. He's an incredible cutter. He's going to get three, four, five dunks a game just cutting off of Jokic's high post actions, dribble handoffs, the elbow stuff. Um and yeah, I just overall, I think it's a really good fit. I think he's like honestly just a better version of Jeremy Grant. Like I, in terms of the way he'll fit there, Grant still just was a little bit clunky in some ways, even though he was good for them in the playoffs because not a great handler. You can't really rely on his shot, and he wasn't a great finisher either. Gordon's a really good finisher around the rim. Like that's an element that he adds that I, I think people are going to be surprised by is how good he is around the rim because he's he's pretty. Pretty damn good at finishing around the rim and playing off Jokic and Murray. Like he's going to get so many easy looks; it's ridiculous. For sure, um, I, I think the one thing that I, I think it's worth pointing out is that Jeremy Grant does appear to be very good now. But I think I think True. the thing I think with what Jer- what happened with Jeremy Grant is he signed a deal to become a primary ball ball handler in Detroit, and uh, and then he went to work. Uh, he went to work that entire offseason, that short offseason, preparing himself for what was going to be a much different role than what he had in Denver. And to his credit, I think he got better. Um, but I would say that I think Aaron Gordon is better than the version of Jeremy Grant that existed in Denver uh, in that smaller role. Um, one of the things that I thought was really interesting, particularly in the Lakers series, 
is uh, Denver asked Jeremy Grant to be a little bit more aggressive in that series. And Jeremy Grant went after LeBron a few times uh, at the end of shot clock situations uh, mainly and, and had a lot of uh, pretty good scoring opportunities. You could see why Aaron Gordon uh, it, it slots right into that same role. And we had concern coming into the season that Denver had missed an opportunity to really capitalize on a window because they let Jeremy Grant and Torrey Craig go, and if, if it seemed like they got worse. And, and what's so interesting about the Aaron Gordon addition is it kind of undoes that damage uh, while at the same time capitalizing on the fact that everyone else is better. Like Michael Porter Jr., better than he was last year. Nikola Vucevic, better than he was last year. Excuse me, Nikola Jokic, better than he was last year. I'm going to give you some shit now. Uh, you uh, uh, said that Jamal Murray's bubble performance was fake. I think he is at least starting to show in the last month that maybe it wasn't. Uh, he's more like, he's actually shot a little bit better in, in the last uh, month or two than, than he did even in the bubble uh, from every single distance. And it, it appears to be what might be a top 15-ish type of player in the NBA if he can be consistent like this. Uh, he also has kind of a history of starting season slow. Uh, for whatever that's worth. But the point being is Denver's better. And, and now, uh, you know, JaVale McGee is more or less what Mason Plumlee did for you last year. Maybe a little bit worse, but who cares? It's a very low-value position for them. And, and overall, you just took what was a vastly improved roster for the guys that stayed, but that had lost a key piece, and you just replaced that key piece with something that might actually be better. And to me, that makes them super dangerous. And if I'm the Clippers in particular because of that bad matchup with their inability to guard Jokic, I'd be freaking out uh, because that's going to be just an extremely difficult team to beat now. And this goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning. Like, there are just so many incredibly good teams this year. And at Denver, there was a slip. And now all of a sudden, there's not. And, And now it looks like they're every bit as good as anybody else. And by the way... Uh, what a great opportunity for Nikola Jokic to make a move on the MVP award. Absolutely. And, I mean, I think with all their troubles earlier in the season, they're still – they're fifth in the standings right now. So, I mean, they had all those troubles. They started terribly. And Jokic has been so amazing that he's lifted them to a 26-18 and 18 record. Now the roster's improved. Um, and I think they're still going to have some struggles on the wing defensively. Like, they're going to be relying on Gordon to do a lot on that end. Um, I don't think that should get lost because they did move Gary Harris in this deal. So the, all their problems aren't fixed by any means, but I think they are one step closer with as young as their best players are in Jokic and Murray to, like, truly becoming a contender within the next two to three years, which is all you're, you're trying to do with as young as those guys are. You know, they're in their mm-hmm. early, early to mid-20s. You're not necessarily trying to win a championship right now because – Guys in their early 20s basically don't win championships if they're the best players on your team. But they're moving towards that. And Gordon fits the timeline. So they, Denver was smart enough to say, hey, we might have messed up the Jeremy Grant thing. Let's rectify it as soon as possible. And the Aaron Gordon trade was a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, if, if, for the record, I, I do think they can win the title this year. Sure. I, that, I would disagree with you there in the sense that like, I, I, I understand what you're saying in terms of the goal and the timeline. Uh, but like, if you were to like coming into the season, if you were to order all the contenders, you would have put the Lakers on their own tier number one, and then you would have had this second tier that would have been like Philly and Brooklyn, and, and you might have had the Clippers on there. You might have had a, a handful of other teams, uh, even Denver. Uh, but then once the season started playing, all of a sudden that shifted. All of a sudden, Brooklyn kind of went up to the same tier as the Lakers, and then Phoenix and Utah jumped into that second tier, and Denver like fell out of that second tier and appeared to be like a third tier contender. This very firmly puts them back on that second tier of contenders, which is quite frankly all you're looking at there is Kevin Durant being out, 
potentially, or which he's literally hasn't been able to stay on the basketball court for the last two years. And then Anthony Davis and LeBron, who both have uh, Anthony, Anthony Davis has an Achilles issue, which is about as scary as it gets. And LeBron has suffered a contact injury, which is something he hasn't suffered in his career and is actual like physical trauma on ligaments and can actually be a problem long term. So it's 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 absolutely Spray nickels it, are tough, man. Spray nickels yeah. are tough. And especially the, the reverse sprain, that high ankle sprain. And so mm-hmm. that that uh, uh, being in that second tier of contenders is where you want to be, in my opinion, because if, and, if, if, if rather than the third, because that's where like a couple things break your way. Suddenly you're holding the trophy. Yeah. And. Sham just reported that it's at least four more weeks for LeBron, basically. it's a, He just reported four to six weeks from the time of the injury. So I'm assuming basically at least four more weeks that LeBron's out. And so if he's three out to that, five more. Yeah, three to five. Yeah, more. yeah. But I would assume it's somewhere in the middle of that timeline. That would just be my guess. Maybe not. But so he's not back till mid-April. Now they only have maybe a month of games left for him to kind of get back into shape. Same with AD if he even comes back during the regular season. Yeah, things are just a lot more dicey, and Denver is now in a position to where they can capitalize, much like a, a 2015 Warriors situation where Durant mm. goes down in the West, and then they get some injury luck in the East, too, with the Cavs, right? Now you're in a position to where you're a little bit young to win a title, maybe your core is, but injuries broke the right way, and now you can win one. I think it's worth mentioning, like, uh, with the high ankle sprain thing, it, re- it reminds me of what happened with Clay Thompson in the 2018 Finals, where... It's a little bit more of a pain tolerance issue than like a re-injury issue because like the type of movement that requires that sort of re-injury is extremely rare in basketball. That's why the high ankle sprain is rare in basketball. Uh, whereas like a traditional ankle sprain, there's weakness moving laterally and it can re-injure extremely easily. So I think the big key, one of the big determining factors for him coming back is just going to be pain tolerance. And, and that I think will in, in large part come down to how the uh, standings shake out. Like if the bottom really falls out of this thing and it looks really bad, uh, I could see him potentially trying to force his way back early, which again was another reason why I thought it made so much sense to try to get Lowry, but I digress. Exactly what I was about to say. (laughs) So uh, uh, let's talk about uh, George Hill to Philly. So obviously it appears, appears what happened here is uh, there was a, a question as to whether or not, uh, Philly was willing to really get into this bidding war with the Lakers and the Raptors. And my guess is that uh, Daryl Morey did a much better job of picking up on what Masai Ujiri's thought process was during this time. And he got a better read on the situation and got out while getting was good. Credit to him. Uh, because the Lakers and Heat kind of got dragged along and it appeared clear that they did not read Masai Ujiri very well. Um, but I actually like George Hill to Philly. So I'll, I'll go first on this one. The thing with George Hill, you know, I, my personal experience with him as someone rooting for him was when he was with the Cavs. And uh, uh, the thing was, is when he was there, he had, he had back spasms and uh, was in and out of the lineup. He actually missed playoff games uh, and, and was largely a shell of himself when he was there. Uh, that said, because he had some success in Milwaukee, it's just a really he does a lot of things really well, which we'll get to in a second. But the truth of the matter is, is health is a legitimate problem with him. He's more or less been banged up nonstop since he left Indiana. That's just kind of the mo uh, with George Hill, which is crazy because he's such a chiseled, like freak, natural athlete. Uh, but the, w- what George Hill does amazingly well is he's an incredible spot up shooter. If he's wide open, he's as good at knocking down wide open shots as anybody in the league. And then two, he is, he's capable of making really basic plays as a point guard out of pick and roll. 
uh, and out of close up uh, close out opportunities. He's not a guy that's going to consistently dissect you and hurt you and 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 do things like really high level things that you would want from a point guard. But he can run basic actions, which makes him great to, for second units. It, it's an interesting wrinkle to run, have him run actions with Joel Embiid while Ben Simmons is off the floor, things along those lines. He's a definitive upgrade uh, over the backcourt that was playing for Philly with guys like Tyrese Maxey and Shake Milton. So it, it, it's a definitive upgrade, and it's a classic example of a team that's like, hey, we're really good. We might win this thing, but let's get better. And, and I have respect for them in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with everything you said. I just, I don't know how much Hill moves the needle at this point in his career. Like, he's a really nice player. He's had, he's had a great career, but he'll be 35 by the time the playoffs roll around. He is an amazing spot-up shooter, but his it seems like it keeps getting harder for him to get those shots off in spot-up situation. Like, he's just getting older, you know? It's just mm-hmm. harder to, to get looks off when you get older. Um, so, I, I mean, I think he's a nice player. He's, uh, he obviously is better at this point than Tyrese Maxey, who I really like, and Shake Melton as well. Um, so he's going to help them just in terms of, like, bolstering the rotation a little bit and, you know, some injury prevention stuff. Seth Curry has been injured a ton this year. Um, so that it gives them some insurance um, in that part. But I don't know if he plays over any of their top five guys right now in, in down the stretch. Um, and they didn't give up much for him, obviously. So it's a good move. I don't hate it, but I just don't. I don't think it moves the needle that much. Like, is it really helping you beat Brooklyn? Is it really helping you beat even Milwaukee? Maybe is it, is it really helping you beat um, the new heat team? If Oladipo's super healthy and 90% of what he once was. And I don't think it is. It's still, it's still going to require Embiid to be better than he's ever been. And it's going to require um, an incredible playoffs from Simmons. Who's been very, very up and down in the playoffs at this point of his career. Who did they give up for George Hill? Do you remember off the top of your head? No, I'll pull it up. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I like I said, Hill's a fine player. I, I really do like him. I would have liked for the Warriors to get him because it would be a, a rotational upgrade. But I don't. I just don't think he's swinging a championship for anybody. You know, like even if if the Lakers were to got him, I don't think it swings anything in their favor or not in their favor. He's just so not I, on that level anymore. I, I agree with you. Uh, they got they gave up Tony Bradley, Terrence, Fer, Terrence Ferguson, and two first round picks. So the two yes, guys sir. they basically weren't playing. Yep. Uh, uh, so it, it is a it, it is an upgrade. It's a marginal upgrade on the on the fringe. Didn't cost them anything. To me, that was a kind of a no brainer move for them. It was a move that wouldn't have made sense for a team like the Lakers because of the salaries that they'd had to have included to match. And and they the thing is is like it's all about a need. Like the reason why I liked Kyle Lowry for the Lakers is uh, you know what Dennis Schroeder does to the Lakers is so important. We saw that when AD was out and then Dennis Schroeder went down and then the Lakers couldn't win because they had nobody that can dribble with their head up. And, uh, and the, the truth is, is that adding a guy like George Hill is only a marginal to below average playmaker isn't as big of a deal in that specific uh, uh, role to the Lakers that he would be for a, a different team. And, you know, they're mainly looking for a guy that can be almost like a, a, a defensive lead guard that can do some little ball handling, but for the most part is an off ball player like he was in Milwaukee. Yep. And and uh, and and so I, I think it makes a lot more more sense for Philly. They still. They still strike me as the only team out east that is capable of beating Brooklyn because of how much pressure they can uh, put on the rim. I agree. I agree. And I think Brooklyn's probably going to bolster their front court on the buyout market. I would assume they're going to go after either uh, Drummond or Aldridge, even though it, it sounds like Aldridge is going to Miami. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I still have Philly winning the east tentatively, uh, but I don't think the hill move shifts anything is my point. Like, I, if – People thought that 
you know, they weren't going to beat Brooklyn. I don't think people think that they're going to beat Brooklyn now because they got George Hill. It just, it's not a needle moving thing. It just, it helps them, but it's not this incredible move. So Adrian Wojnarowski just tweeted in, uh, tweeted in making trade offers for Kyle Lowry, teams had to take into consideration whether he would turn out to be a rental for the season mm-hmm. or if they would be able to meet his contract expectations to stay in free agency. That impacted how far some teams were willing to go on him. I suppose we can try to uh, parlay that into cover for the Lakers, not putting in THT because there might have been some intel that he wanted to go to Miami. Everything was saying that he was going to end up in Miami as a free agent. And then he uh, Shams reported earlier today that he wanted to be in Miami uh, uh, if the, if he had the choice between the twi- between the trade offers. So that kind of adds some clarification. Uh, uh, but just like with the Kawhi uh, Leonard situation, when the the Raptors trade for him, I don't think you can necessarily weigh a player's future uh, for what the the moment might bring. And I don't think there's a single Raptors fan in America or Canada <laughs> who would who would uh, uh, who would turn down uh, that business arrangement that they had with Kawhi. Yeah, definitely not. Um, all right, so let's uh, talk. We're going to talk one last trade, and then we're going to talk about one last non-trade, and, and mm-hmm. then we'll get you guys out of here. Um, so, Nick Vucevic to Chicago. What were your initial impressions? I, th- I mean, for Wendell Carter Jr., I think. In- it was uh, Otto Porter, Wendell Carter Jr., and two first-round picks. So, really not that much going out the door for a guy who's been incredible this year. 24-12-4 on, like, 48-40-82 shooting. He's one of the most efficient offensive players in the league. And now you're pairing that with Zach Levine, right, who's also been one of the most efficient scorers in the league. So, offensively, they are going to be a nightmare. I wish, just from a bull standpoint, I wish they could have, like, maybe worked a trade for Lonzo because now you have some, some really, really fun lineups that probably aren't contenders in the East, but you're building something around some guys who are young. Vooch is a little bit older than Levine, obviously. I want to say he's 29. So he's on a little bit later of a timeline. But he also seems like a guy whose skill set is going to age very, very well because he's not dependent on any type of quickness, really. He's he's strength and he's skill. Um, he's an awesome player. He obviously makes them much better. The Bulls go from maybe a team that could like fall out of the playoff race to definitely being a playoff team in the East. And I think it's just the Bulls are signaling, hey, we number one, we really like Zach Levine. Um, and number two, if we can do things to improve this team, we're going to do them. And that hasn't been um, a trait of the regimes in the past. Like Garpax was one of the worst front offices in the league. Um, they brought in, I can't pronounce the guy's name, Arturis. I, don't, I cannot pronounce his last name. The guy who was uh, Denver's assistant GM is now okay. their GM. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's, he's done some really nice things. Like, and I think they're, pro- they're probably going to pay you know, whatever Levine's extension is um, coming up soon. And yeah, I just I think they're signaling that we're trying to build something here um, and Chicago can be a destination. Like it's, it's one of the bigger markets in the league. So if they get good um, I think it will become a free agent destination too. Yeah. I think like uh, the cornerstone for this entire piece is how good Zach Levine has been um, to me. He's like this era, this generation's Bradley Beal. And uh, uh, that's going to sound crazy because they're only a few years apart. Uh, but what I mean by that is like the guy who's been on a bad team, who like suddenly is like showing these scoring flashes uh, that you see from the very best players in the league. And it's a, it's an actual translatable thing. Bradley Beal, it's a little bit more skill based. It's a little bit more just incredible polish. Uh, and with Zach Levine, it's more of this like freak athleticism mixed with incredible shooting touch. Uh, but there's a, you can, you 
I mean, Zach Levine has some bona fide weaknesses. He's legitimately a bad defensive player. Uh, however, as an offensive player, he's every bit as good as a lot of the best players in the league. And and it's crazy because it's uh, he was probably one of the more uh, like like one of the more like despised players maligned. by the maligned. maligned is probably the better word. Like yeah. disliked players around the league uh, in, in recent Especially years. by the, by the analytics community. And Oh yeah. A lot of those guys have like done a 180 on it because he's scoring so efficiently. He's shooting 53% from the field and 42% from three scoring 28 points a game. That's insane. That's mm-hmm. like rarefied air. Nobody does that. So look at, now, now what you're working with is, uh, uh, let's call him a 15 to 20, top 20 player in the NBA in Zach Levine. And now you're adding a 20 to 25 type of player in, in Nikola Vucevic, who, uh, who, who's been playing for really bad teams for a long time. So there's something to be said about putting him next to a really, really talented player. Um, I'm with you. I don't think they're uh, any sort of real legitimate threat. Uh, certainly not yet. Uh, however, there's something to build on there. Now all you need is for some of these young guys like Kobe White and Laurie Markkinen to pan out. And if they do, you could be in a, in a really, really good spot. But I, yeah. I, I, I'm, I, they've, they've, they've become a, an infinitely more interesting uh, a league pass team to watch, that's for sure. Way more interesting. And like I said, in, in a big market like that, they're, they're obviously not as big as you know, the Lakers or the Knicks or the, even the Warriors in terms of market, but they are one of the bigger markets in the league. You do become a bigger free agent destination when when that time comes, right? Like more guys will consider playing with them because, hey, it's it, at the very least, we're going to be on a fun roster. We're going to be competitive. We're going to win some games. And if things break right, we can make some noise in the playoffs. Yeah, and it, it's it, it's at least, uh, again, a team that's trying and a team that's, uh, uh, I, I th- again, I think this team was teetering on, on a rebuild. Uh, and Zach, Le- Zach Levine's ridiculous improvement, clearly he took advantage of the pandemic. Zach Levine's ridiculous improvement uh, completely tilted them back on the other end of that timeline. And I think, I think that's cool to see and it's exciting uh, for Chicago fans. And again, now you're in that zone where you've got your two guys. You just need to make some, uh, uh, a couple of key uh, successful moves on the periphery and then you can be yeah. in good shape. I'm a little bit surprised they didn't move Markin in because him and Vucevic are pretty redundant. Like I thought they would have moved him for at least some type of defensive pieces or at least contracts that aren't going to expire. Um, you know, just to fill the salary so they can make future moves. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's something to build on there. And I think that's, that's a great takeaway from the mm-hmm. trade deadline, especially when, like you're saying, coming into the season almost looked like they should be rebuilding. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, and for, here's what I'll say about Markin. And I've watched him for a really long time because he came through the University of Arizona. And, I, and yeah. as a result, I've watched a lot of him when he was in Chicago. The dude's been hurt all the time. Uh, which is good and bad. It's bad because it means he's shown a propensity to be susceptible to injuries, but it's also good in the sense that there's a little bit of unknown surrounding him. We don't really know necessarily uh, how good he is. And, and, you know, there's an impression around the league that he's not very valuable, and that may have been the main reason why they didn't trade him. And so if you're Chicago, you just look at it like, you know, you know, maybe this dude really does suck, in which case, you know, we know that in-house and we can trade him for even if it's just something small this summer. Uh, or maybe just in the long in the long run, he finally gets healthy and he pans into something and then you can move him at that point. But I mean, yep. uh, th- with with how crappy his first few years in the league have gone, there was no scenario where they were just going to get a bunch of a great value for him. No, definitely not. And he I mean, to be clear, he does have some skill. It's just been like you said, it's just been very up and down. A lot of injuries mm-hmm. and just a lot of roster change, a lot of just turnover and turmoil in Chicago. Mm-hmm. 
All right, guys. Last thing we're going to talk about today is uh, Lonzo Ball not getting traded, um, and this one's interesting in the sense because it's it, it kind of falls into the same uh, conversation that we keep having today surrounding what people are willing to pay for a player that's a fringe star to a mid level player, and 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 it, part of the problem here is just kind of like the lack of a middle class in the NBA's uh, payment structure. It seems like every dude is. It's like it seems like you, you have like half the league playing on minimum deals, and then you've got like uh, a quarter of the league playing on like mid-level exceptions, <laughs> and then another half of the leagues all make or another quarter the, the remaining quarter of the leagues all making twenty million plus, and so that's what sucks because then like a guy like Lonzo comes up who you know is a legitimately good basketball player like the kid can defend and now he's made himself into a really good shooter. And he is a really good, maybe an extension, uh, an exaggeration, but he's a, a above average shooter as of late. And he has legitimate skill offensively as like kind of an off ball guard who can push the ball in transition, make the right play, run, run, pick and roll, all that good stuff. So he has, yeah, real he's, a two, he's a two, but he, he has like secondary playmaking chops, especially in mm-hmm. transition. Exactly. And so the interesting thing there is, is, you know, what number is that worth? But again, you have to look at it from the standpoint of like, uh, uh, a player's worth is what a bad team is willing to pay them, and I guarantee you, some bad team's going to play pay Lonzo fifteen million a year or something like that. You know, so uh, uh, hope you're muted. Can you hear me? Yeah, now I can. Okay, I think it'll be closer to twenty. Yeah, and it, it may it maybe yeah. it's twenty, but the point yeah. is, is like if you're New Orleans, you're not getting some big time free agent. You got you kind of have to approach this with the opposite method as some of these uh, uh, coastal powerhouses, and you and, and to me it's like you you, you can let Lonzo walk, uh, and maybe some of your draft picks pay pan out, and, and you know maybe it's a, especially when you consider the timeline. Like my guess is that with Zion and Bi, you're not going to be contending for three or four more years anyway. Uh, so why not toss Lonzo a three or four more year deal? And then if he doesn't fit into the timeline when Bi and Zion are in their primes, then you can kind of change your mind at that point. Yeah, and I think he'll always have trade value, even if he's at twenty million a year. I think he does enough things well, and he's going to keep getting better. It's not like the guy's going to become a worse basketball player unless he just has a weird development track. He's going to keep getting better, even at twenty million a year. I think he's a pretty valuable player. Like I really do, especially as the I, I would assume the cap starts to continues to go up a little bit. It might get kind of funky because of what COVID has done to the league, um, just in terms of revenue, but. I, I think at $20 million a year, as long as there's not some crazy overpay where he's at like 25 or 30, he's going to be a good contractor and, and maybe not great, but he'll be a solid contract for what he can do, especially because he can defend. Like he's three and D, but he also has playmaking. And those guys are super valuable because th- that's what makes them rare. There's a ton of three and D guys in the league, but there aren't a lot of guys who can also like create against the closeout or bring it in transition and really be a good passer and find teammates and create opportunities for teammates. He can do all that stuff. So at $20 million a year, I think he's a great value. And I think even if – I think New Orleans would be stupid not to match basically any offer at $20 million or under. Yep, no, 100% agree. And, and quite frankly, he's a, he's a perfect fit with Brandon Ingram and Zion uh, just in terms of what you'd be willing to uh, – uh, what you're asking him to do and what his skill set is. He's not ever going to be asked to do something that, uh, that, that doesn't fit his skill set. And to me, that that makes him a, a, a natural fit and a guy that makes a ton of sense. And he's and one of those guys. Days. Yeah, he's one of those guys for like any of the top ten teams in the league. Where isn't he a perfect fit? You know, like what, what top ten team in the league would you put him on? You're like, oh, that doesn't really work. 
Like, I'm not saying he brings you a title, but he makes your team better with all the things that he does. He does things that are really, really valuable. And that type of stuff isn't going anywhere. The defense and the passing, that'll never go anywhere. Maybe the shot's a little bit inconsistent, uh, but it's been at 38, 39% from three for like the last two seasons, basically. So it's probably not going to be much worse than that for the rest of his career. And one last thing on, on the Pelicans, like, I there's been some talk about whether or not uh you know it makes sense to keep Zion and Brandon Ingram together. Uh I am I'm a huge believer in those two together. Uh to me it's that it, like this is two completely different players so I don't want to be uh you know uh make a complete equivalency but it'd be like it's kind of like a LeBron type archetype and a Zion type archetype or excuse me and a, a Kobe type archetype. You have this Brandon Ingram who's really 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 good in the margins as like a uh, as like a fine tuned score, and then you've got the bull in the china shop, uh, and because there are times when the bull in the china shop doesn't work, and there are times when this elite fine tuned score doesn't work, and so I do think there is a, a universe where it works. I just think that David Griffin has to do a better job of of, of putting guys around them. The Stephen Adams uh, trade was one of the most nonsensical trades uh, that I've seen in recent years. And then they extended the guy for way too much money. The trade was fine. It was the extension. Adding the extension on top. Like, if you want to trade him to bring him in to be a minutes eater, so Zion's not always playing the five, and then you extend him at six, seven, eight million a year, fine. That makes sense. But they gave him, what, 17 or 18 million a year? It was, it was, insane, two, it was like, like two yeah. years, like eight, 17 and a half million a year. That's where it made no sense. And then you got to get rid of Bledsoe, too. Like, they just, they need shooting around those two. You, that's the name of the game now. You need to put shooting around your superstars. If they can do that, then yeah, that's going to be a pretty damn good duo moving forward because they're both already really good. They're, they just got to improve in the margins of their game. Like, they both have to become better defenders. They have to be, become more consistent. Well, Zion's already pretty freaking consistent, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like they're in a good spot as long as they don't mess things up too much. Yeah, David Griffin's got to figure his crap out. They're they're pretty much a surefire bet, in my opinion, to be a top, uh, both of them to be top 15 players uh, within the next two years, maybe. Uh, Brandon Ingram has had some real defensive slippage since he went to New, uh, since he went to New Orleans, but I have seen him under Luke Walton be an extremely good defensive player, like a flat-out dominant defensive player. That kid has it in there. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he shelved that to fine-tune his offensive game. And for the record, he has fine-tuned his offensive game. The kid is unbelievable as an offensive player. Uh, so there's this clear-cut uh, archetype of you know Paul George type of player that he's going to be. Uh, in the uh, slightly different in the sense that Brandon Ingram is more mid-range oriented and, and Paul George is more of like a high volume three-point shooter but I, I I just mean that in terms of like a big wing who is a is an elite defensive player and is a 26 27 point a game guy over 52 53 percent effective field goal percentage that's that's the kind of guy that he is and that's a you know that's a bona fide piece and then Zion Williamson is on the fast track to being like this generation's Blake Griffin a guy that in the seasons where he's healthy could very easily be a fourth fifth best player in the league so I there you have the talent it's just about figuring out uh, the, the pieces around it. They'd be an amazing team for a Miles Turner type of player uh, uh, to play in the front. I don't know why. If that if they can do anything to make that happen, they need to do it immediately. Like mm-hmm. that's it's such a nice fit around their core. Even though his three point shooting is almost more theoretical at this point, but he does have just some natural kind of like spacing gravity because it it does look teams guard him. Teams think teams guard him. Shoot. That's all. Teams it guard him. It looks good. It, yeah, a lot of the times that's what matters because whether he's shooting thirty two or thirty five percent. Maybe matters a little bit. He's going to need to make some big ones eventually. 
But it more matters are teams paying attention to him. And teams absolutely pay attention to him on the perimeter. And then to go on top of that, he's a de- defensive player of the year level player. Like, he's that good on the de- defensive end. So if they, as long as they're not absolutely giving away everything, they should make that move happen. Well, it's the Rondo effect. It's this idea that, like, you know, oh, Rondo's shooting 37% from three this year. It's like, yeah, but they're still not guarding him. And he's not aggressive enough with the shot to where it can make these defenses pay that 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 is the 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 key difference it's it's the the like you said theoretical shooting versus actual shooting there's a there's a huge difference between the two and and theoretical shooting is enough to generate spacing and 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 it's like the Marcus Gasol effect like Marcus Gasol hasn't shot the ball that amazingly well since he left Toronto he's had a little bit of a good stretch before he went out but the truth of the matter is, is like teams guard Marcus All, and it dramatically impacts the Lakers spacing and makes things seem more open. Well, it's different for centers, right? Because centers typically they're playing defensively in the paint, mm-hmm. so it's it's the inverse of a guard. Guards can kind of sag off and not really close out on guards who are bad shooters. Centers they don't really know how to guard a guy who's constantly standing on the perimeter. It just throws them off. And now if they're just a step or two closer, it's giving your Zion's and your Brandon Ingram just more space to work and get to the rim or get to their mid range. Mm-hmm. Nope, exactly. All right, man, did you have anything else you wanted to add? No, that's about it. Um, yeah, interesting trade deadline. I, I didn't, like I said, I don't know if there's any like true, true title-shifting moves. Denver, I thought Denver did a great job. Like I said, I, Eric Gordon's a great pickup. And then Victor, I think, is a great pickup for the Heat as long as he's you know relatively healthy. He's not going to be what he was at his peak. He's not that guy. But he's, if he's 80%, 90%, it's a great pickup. Um, hmm. But, you know, it, Denver now has a chance to win a title if – Teams keep getting injured in the playoffs, and injuries have been an issue this season because it, it was a shortened offseason. Mm. Yeah, Aaron Gordon to Denver, to me, is easily the most impactful trade. Yeah. Um, the one that could have potentially swung the result here is, you know, the, I I am, like, this close to picking Brooklyn to win the title and because uh, uh, they really? continue to look so good. And uh, I, I just can't keep lying in the face of incontrovertible evidence. They're a better defensive, they're a better defensive team than we thought they were going to be. Yeah. Uh, uh, Steve Kerr finally got, or uh, uh, Steve Nash finally got them to start competing on that end, and a lot of that credit goes to Kyrie and James Harden. By the way, uh, uh, they they're playing harder on defense than they than you would have expected, uh, and then they just have that, such that's the route we laid out though. That's the route we laid out. We said if they compete defensively, they can absolutely win the title, and they are. Yep, one hundred percent. And so I'm not quite there yet, but I'm very very close. Uh, and so. That Kyle Lowry to the Lakers theoretical deal would have been one that I think would have swung me back to being more uh, convincingly on the Laker bandwagon. Um, but yeah, super interesting. And then uh, hopefully uh, by this time next week, we'll have a couple of uh, buyout deals that we can talk about that might transform things a little bit. But everybody, thank you so much for tuning in. I appreciate you guys. I'm going to work on the download version of this for the podcast in the next 10, 15 minutes. Uh, But as always, thank you guys for your support. I will be going live with Raj tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock Pacific Standard Time. Tommy, I hope you have a good rest of your weekend, man. Thanks, man. You too. Later. See ya.